0: Welcome to the Cultured Podcast. I'm Melissa Jezier, your host. On this podcast, I talk to top culture makers in the world today to unpack the visible and not so visible forces that make up the often overlooked superpower of organizations. Today we're kicking off season two of Cultured, where we're featuring change makers from the restaurant industry. I'm thrilled to be kicking off this season talking with Amy Brandwine, chef and owner of two premier Washington DC restaurants. Centralina and Piccolina. welcome Amy, I'm so happy to have you here.
1: Thank you so much, I appreciate it.
0: First off, I wanna say congratulations on some recent good news, which is nice to have amidst all kind of the bad news that we've all been facing. Congratulations on your fourth James Beard Award nomination. How does it feel after compared to your first, second, and third nominations.
1: Feels like everything, and it feels like not so important
0: at the same time. <laughs> oh, you could see that. I know, it's a crazy time right now. Well, let's start with the topic of culture. The restaurant industry is famous, right, for having hot, tense, high-pressure culture. Tell me about your experience growing up in the restaurant industry and how you drew from those experiences to build your own culture at your restaurants.
1: Yeah, so uh, when I was coming up through the ranks in the kitchen you know it was not a um, time where people were even thinking about restaurant culture it was more about creating fine cuisine at any cost i guess you know and I don't think anybody really thought of it as a legitimate industry. As I saw kind of like what my experience was, I realized that, you know, it's an awful lot of work to not get, not reap positive benefits out of it, meaning like see a path to ownership or empower people in a way that they feel like their opinion counts. Uh, Being one of the few women in the industry or definitely in my kitchen that I was working in, or many of them, I should say, or being very one of the few female chefs in in Washington or anywhere else, it was uncomfortable at times. So, you know, when I set a path for becoming an owner myself, I thought like, I really need to create a culture that reflects me, I feel comfortable in, and one where everybody feels comfortable and accepted, and able to uh, share their opinion for like the greater success. I think there's a lot of been a lot of intimidation and kind of top down type management. It can be good. you're doing the right thing but i mean at the same time there's a lot of employee burnout and frustration that so that was kind of what my thought was is to create a sort of supportive environment where people felt valued
0: yeah i think that's interesting i think that's a trend we're seeing in the just broader across many industries and i love that kind of concept is like fine cuisine at any cost right like i think a lot of leaders in the business world are starting to realize that it's really not about you know profit at any cost or fine cuisine at any cost it really is about bringing the right culture to the organization and i think the organization then ends up doing better because of it
1: yeah i mean i what i've discovered is culture equals profitability you know and that's something that as i started it i just wanted to be able to like pay my bills and create a job for myself you know (laughs) and then i realized that the culture was this Thing that it's like the oxygen that everybody, the customers, the employees are all breathing, and it, it became one of the roads to profitability and success. Which I was,
0: it was I was even learning while I was doing it, you know. Yeah, I totally understand that. So uh, you know, obviously, this COVID pandemic is something restaurants were not prepared for. No one was prepared for. Tell me about how your team responded to this unforeseen event and decided to pivot and go to takeout and delivery.
1: Well, you know, we had been in an interesting time period prior to this. We had just been through a huge, massive year, meaning uh, we had opened Picolina, which was our first venture outside the first restaurant. And so that was a lot of learning and, and not for me so much because I've done it so many times, but for the team, it was a big learning process. And then at the same time, we renovated Centralina. So in the space of, you know, nine months, we had opened a small cafe and also completely gutted half of the restaurant. And so what happened during that process was when Centralina was being renovated, we moved some of our prepared food operations over to the cafe because they're right across the street from each other. And, the market that we rely on for some of our revenue was no more because you know, it was under construction so i had an idea of you know i didn't want to lose my customers that relied on the market we have a like huge residential population here so what i decided to do was i said i was thinking like how do i still you know maintain this revenue stream how do i make sure that we're still connecting with customers And so i had an idea to put the groceries online because we didn't have a market but i said i can still sell online you know and so i I set out for this idea thinking that that time period that i wanted to continue trying to serve the community and also i said well it would be really cool if i could uh deliver uh groceries to people at city center or beyond because there's a lot of people say in Cleveland Park or you know other parts of Northwest DC that want my pasta, or they want the sauce but they don't want to travel for it. They don't want to make, you know, sometimes with traffic it can be 45 minutes. So long story short is we had already I so I had already reached an agreement with Caviar, which is a delivery service at that point to put my market online. And so I was it was like this like project in the back of my head that I was like really excited about and then when this pandemic happened I had already had my grocery store online. So, oh wow. so that part, it was a lot of heavy lifting to my team. I think I was driving my team a little bit crazy because they're like, you know, we're selling like just a few things a day. And I said, it doesn't matter. like. Um, at that time, nobody really understood exactly how important it was going to be. Um, we were just entering the data in the computer. And then, so when this happened, I had already been, I'd already had an agreement with caviar that they would do this for me. And it was like the first market of its kind that wasn't an Amazon that they were going to do this for. And so when I already had the agreement, then I just like, you know, I put my pedals. right into it. I already had their commitment. So then they set out about taking my data from the online grocery store that we already had and inputting into their system. So that part was really, really easy for us. I mean, meaning like we were already doing it, we were already doing groceries, but we had already pivoted before this thing took place. So that part of it was really exciting for me because, uh, you know, I was like my little, like my little geeky prospect. (laughs) (laughs) for shape but I was like really happy about it you know and so that was fun and then um, you know the delivery service you know gosh we drive around and I've driven around it had the pivot hasn't been too hard it's been interesting but it hasn't been like a huge sea change you know my food is known for being like fine dining needs accessible sort of so I don't make things that are extremely complicated I just make things that I think are the best way to do a certain thing get out of the way basically so it's very well suited for what the times are so I think in some respects I just I was very in a very good position to be able to
0: move in a slightly different direction so in other words you were planning for the pandemic and you didn't even know it <laughs> <laughs> I have to say pretty much I didn't know that I was
1: doing this you know we renovated the space and we had uh, 50% of our real estate devoted for the market we uh, modified it it's a very long story that's not worth getting into but we modified it and now we have a much smaller footprint and that was my entire idea with the online grocery store: is that my square footage is smaller because I want to do private dining, but I want to have more revenue per per uh, square foot in that space. And that was why I was thinking about the market online. So, this whole thing has been like just a—it's been an amazing thing. I mean, now, you know, the the market sales are accounting for at least fifty
0: percent of our revenue now. Oh, wow. so that was amazing! it's it's something else. I mean, I'm even shocked, you know. That is amazing. So I also heard that you recently had an employee test positive for COVID-19 that required you to shut down the restaurant uh or the operation, right? Do a full deep clean and then I heard you just reopened again on May 8th. So yeah. tell me, did did you ever think about just throwing in the towel? Yeah, I mean, I
1: thought about, you know, we had been uh we've been open um post closure dining closure i think it was about a month solid month that we had done the new the new normal you know when that happened it just was very i was very surprised because our entire team was healthy except for one individual who is doing much better now but it was frustrating and i was scared i was i was definitely feeling more fearful you know and so we were all home i have an amazing management team and we were all home and I just talk to them all the time. Like you know, when this started, I said, like, "You have a choice. You can work if you want, and if you don't, we're gonna we're gonna hire you back when this gets to a better place." Everybody wanted to work, and I was surprised that everybody's. Free. I was very sensitive to how they might be feeling, and so if I was feeling that way, I was just very concerned about staff. And um, they all wanted to. They were wanting to come back to work even more. It was interesting. I wasn't expecting that, and so you know, now we just do what we do, but try to we did, you know, install even more health practices and, and that type of thing. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think we're all kind of in a good place about the situation that is right now.
0: So I'm, I'm always interested from both personal experience and professional experience, how like unexpected disruptions, whether it be a key employee that quits unexpectedly or this pandemic, how, and they're always hard to deal with, but I think from them often comes learnings and growth and innovation. So I'm curious about what you've learned from this and what how you've grown and what you will hope to take into the, the post-pandemic future?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I have learned a lot from this. Uh, you know, I uh, I think the first thing is that we, as a group, are not working uh, as many hours. We weren't, we're not working as many hours as we were before. And I think that I've learned from that, that that makes, that makes for a better, Team. It's it's one of these things that's part of uh, the restaurant industry and then the economics of payroll and such that it's just very hard to make the dynamic, you know, the, the profits work. But I've learned that like I think that there's a space for trying we have to try to make this different. I think that's what I've realized is this industry needs to change. And I've rethought, I don't know how exactly I'm gonna implement it, but I've been mulling it over my head that you know, we should be changing the work requirements. And and maybe it's having an extra staff member on hand, because that's one thing that restaurants don't have that, that a lot of other industries have, most industries have, you know, somebody gets sick, there's somebody who can fill in, you know, in the restaurant industry, it's never like that. It's just not. So um, we are unprepared for these times. And so I've really been thinking about what the industry needs to do to try to change this situation and there's just a lot of different uh policies and things that i think just need to change just around us but also internally gosh i don't know healthcare, obviously and you know trying to figure out how to give the staff more time off so that they can feel more balanced i guess i, mean, I have to say like i have sort of <laughs> i am used to working the past, which is like looking at all the food before it goes out and the customers and it's this you know, it's the way that I do quality checks on the food. And um this is just sort of, you know, it's been sort of a sucker punch, you know. And so it's been, I've been able to let go a lot of the, that pressure and sort of just, like, let my team kind of do what they do, like being managed by me. But I'm not as hands-on right now. And I'm kind of, it's not that bad of a thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, learning how to do that you know it's a yeah. i haven't learned
0: how to do that yet so i'm trying to you know i'm learning how to do that I, you know that i think that's amazing and i think that's what i think that's what shows resilience is when uh, people and businesses can really truly take what they've learned and apply it to going forward it, I think it bodes well for, for your future and hopefully for all, all of our futures. So being a head chef um, and a business owner, I think you co- you possess a very unique uh, DNA that combines, right? It's got to have a little bit of leadership, a little business sense, creativity. So taking all of that, what is the difference you think from being a great chef to being a James Beard award-winning chef? That's such a good question. You know, it's something that we as, as industry
1: professionals, we we think about it all the time. What's what's the marker, like, how does this, what is the difference, you know? And I think the difference is just from a culinary aspect that these types of awards or recognitions or accolades, they're the most important thing is that they're given by your fellow peers, you know, they're, it's like, what, what do they consider the mark of a great chef? And I think, you know, great chefs can be, or what's the difference between being a, jam, you know, a great chef and a James Beard chef? I think that being a great chef is having You know great food moments of brilliance being exciting you know and having enough uh skill that you know you're you're busy i think that's the mark of a a great chef i think james beard chef is this consistency over time marked with all those other things so can you still excite people is it consistent all the time is everything that you do excellent and i think that that's the marker that people usually look for is That one thing is great and the other things are so-so it's the consistency all throughout your entire organization also you know what are you saying through your food you know what chords are you striking and so each chef has their own style and then within that each chef that is I think a James Beard chef makes it they make their mark in some way in a way that's different and so uh, there's something distinctive about them their cooking, maybe their personality, their restaurants, what they look like, what they feel like, something else, some different thing that
0: they're bringing to the table that makes people go wow. So, in being a celebrity chef, do you find that that helps you or hurts you in terms of your role of being a manager and a leader? Well, I don't think of myself as a celebrity chef. So.
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't ever know, um, but you know, I think uh, my staff i don't think my staff thinks of me that way either i mean i'm (laughs) i I think they see me coming to work every day i mean they see all the news clips and things like that um but they also see me come to work every day and so i think that's the thing they know that like that's real you know and that we're here all working together so what makes it easier i think is uh you know when you're creating great food and you're creating this culture and you're doing things people are excited about it it brings a lot of attention to the restaurant Mm -hmm. and that um, trickles down to, uh, longevity and, you know, um, sustainability, profitability. Yeah. I mean, when you have that type of, uh, press that's coming, it, it makes getting people in the restaurant easier and it helps the entire organization. And then, you know, there's pressures that go along with this. I think sometimes, uh, you know, I'm pretty down to earth. I think sometimes the staff, uh, I have moments where I have to reinforce that, you know whatever it is that we're doing, that's just not good enough. You know, and I think that those are the moments where they—it's uh, sort of like a, a reality. You know, it's a little bit of a reality check. Like you know, something um, is not in line with what I do, or it's not on the standards that I hold. Sometimes you know we—I have to put down the. You know, I have to put my foot down. And be like that is just not. That's just not good enough for us we have to do better than that you know so I think it creates a lot of pressure sometimes um, at the same time like I think um, I'm fortunate to cook in a certain way that the customers really latched onto it and it's a way that makes it easy for my staff to operate meaning that like I create food that's realistically executable mm-hmm. with really great flavor profile and I think that is the thing that is a uh, one of our greatest strengths is what can we do realistically? Being realistic, I think, and and knowing what your your strengths are and and what kind of chef you are, I think, makes makes things a lot easier to deal with. I know what kind of chef I am, and I know what I'm not. Um, and if you try to put yourself in a situation where you're not cooking in a way that you're comfortable, I think it creates a lot of problems.
0: I love that idea of being like setting high standards, but also being real realistic in terms of what you can implement and being yep. being grounded in that. Because I think that is what creates excellence in, in any industry. Yeah, I think so.
1: You have to be, if you're setting high expectations that people can't reach, there's no way that's going to work. It has to be executable every day. It has to be something that people can understand. It has to be something that they can do over and over again it has to be something that is honest you know in your approach i mean if you're a french chef and you're or star chef then that's who you are then you create that and you, that's your model and people understand that that's great but you know for me I, I think it's realistically understanding the stress levels that our, people are under um, i know because i was in that environment <laughs> yeah. you know it's about creating a realistically executable food that is attainable and not i'll tell you one thing that i said i have told my staff is that if a chef is screaming at whoever it they they the, the issue lies with the chef not the mm-hmm. employees because the chef's the one who hired the sous chefs the chef's the one who created the menu the chef's the one who sets the standards and the staffing and so, if there's a problem with the food or people aren't doing things correctly, ultimately the chef is the one who has to take responsibility for all this. So they shouldn't be screaming at the staff. They should be looking at their themselves, trying to figure out, you know, how do I fix this? Because whatever I've set up is not working. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's the key to how I view things: is that you can't create an unattainable
0: environment. And then take your frustration out on your team. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, you know, that actually, I've heard actually that you have talked about a lot about keeping the the need to keep your emotions in check in the kitchen. And this is kind of related to that, that same thing. And I think it's something that any business leader can relate to is that you have to be able to keep your emotions in check. Tell me, how have you learned to self-manage your own emotions in such a high pressure environment?
1: You know, I, uh. I have to think, you know, I think being an owner changed uh, my, you know, I realized that I have a responsibility. And so being an owner and having, I have 80 employees. And so having so many employees, um, you know, they need you to stay calm and nobody wants to work with somebody who is losing their temper, you know? So I take deep breath. I just learn to breathe. Sometimes I'll go have a glass of ice water. Um, I've told my staff sometimes like, go in the corner, drink some water. Mm -hmm. Because usually, like after 10 seconds You're calm, you know, and Mm -hmm. so I think I have to just I just try to not go with my first impulse Which is like release the tension. I try to like I try to pause for a second and Breathe and then you know because I have moments of I'm a I'm sort of a perfectionist, you know So I have moments where I get very frustrated, you know but i have to try to control it and i understand that it's my job to control that you know i have to figure like i said it's like the responsibility rests with me to figure out how i'm going to manage through this you know and it's 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 kind of nice you know you see the you you see the positive results of doing it and then once you realize that there's another way to get through it it seems like a lot easier than having issues with staff later because you lost your temper you know
0: yeah yeah i totally i hear you on that i was reading a quote recently I've been thinking a lot about during this whole pandemic. And it's re- it's very closely related to what you've been talking about. It's uh, a leader is supposed to absorb fear, but exude hope. Um, and it's kind of similar to what you're talking about. Like that's our, that's our job um, in terms of creating a, a culture is to be the shock absorber, to ground ourselves and then uh, outwardly we're something, you know, th- we've managed the emotion.
1: Yeah. I've, that's something I've learned since I've started uh since i opened the restaurant is that you have to face things head on and be positive i mean i'm a realistic person i'm not always thinking that everything's going to work out perfectly but i think that from the power of goodwill and your staff and being positive and you know corralling everyone to do the right thing i think the greatest strength is having that that mindset and with that you do lead through it that is depending on you to have A leadership role you're marching in front of everybody and everybody else is with you you know but you have to lead. so
0: I've read that you're a big proponent of good communication and that you should not confuse communication with conflict so tell me more about that you
1: know I think there's a lot of times where uh, you know there's you know there's issues like you know uh, maybe somebody doesn't understand the task at hand or maybe you know staff member is having maybe issues staying on track you know i've been reading a lot i read a lot about different and not just restaurant things but just all kinds of things business things and you know i think one of the biggest problems that people have is time management say somebody we're having time management problems in the restaurant industry it's very easy to get distracted you know i think it's important to discuss them and discuss them head on and make sure people understand why there was the issue and i always say that it's not you know it's i always said that even when i was the brunt of some instruction that wasn't the delivery wasn't so pleasant you know it was always the lesson that was being learned and the, the important thing is learning the lesson and i always say to them my job here is to to teach everyone here how to behave professionally and understand that this is an industry of, of respect you know and so I think if people understand the way you think, they really understand what you're saying and why you're saying it, and they understand it's tied to the bottom line, and it's impactful into whether you're going to be successful or not. I think if you explain the metrics of what it is that you're doing, then people really, they're, they're with you. You can't just say, do this, and then expect people to understand why it's important. Bringing them into the philosophy of business is, I think, is very important. So, communication is, you know, conflict is getting to the root of the problem. And I've had many, you know, many of my team members, uh, you know, tell me, uh, you know, not many, but my my team, my management team, my core management team, they'll tell me when I did something that, that bothered them, you know, and I think that it's important to listen to that. We learn from, I learn from them all the time. Like, you know, I'm, I learned how to be a leader. I didn't just like pop up and be one. Um, I've made tons of mistakes and I try to like, try to learn from what they're saying and then I try to say okay well here's my take on this you know and I think that exchange has been super important you know but I think I think having the team be part of discussions that are business oriented about why you're doing things, why you want things to happen, why it needs to happen a certain way or what the goal is, I think is the thing that makes
0: people really like advanced, you know, that's what I think. Well, it's, back to that supportive culture that you talked about in the beginning of our conversation, like that's part, I think that would probably be part of building that supportive cultures is teaching people.
1: Yeah. Teaching people business. I mean, you have to, you have to teach you know, you, it can't just be that this is my restaurant and well, it could be. (laughs) (laughs) It could be, but it's, it's not, it's, it's, it could be. And that's kind of what I've seen throughout my career through many different places I worked. Like, you know, this is, this is our place. This is my place. You're going to do this. And I don't like that. And do this. And why is that like that? And maybe an occasional good job and you see success, you know, but it's really like, coming as a directive you know my goal is to teach people who work for me the what business is and like what metrics are and how do you make a profit and what do we need to do and how are we going to market ourselves and we have to keep moving and here's why you know and they see once they i think they understand that you're giving them something besides a paycheck you know i hope I, I don't know have <laughs> to talk to them, <laughs> but I try to say, you know, like my, my, I have some managers that have never worked in a really high pressured office environment, which I have. I have a background that I worked in um legal and political field before becoming a chef. So I worked in some really high pressure law firms, named law firms, doing political work and things like that. And I know what those environments are like. Right. So some of my staff hasn't, um, been in that type of uh, environment, so I, my my job is to to explain to them what those environments are like and what expectations are like in those types of environments. Try to re, try to explain to them that this is also a professional environment and um, this is how we're going to make sure that we're operating in those kind of same lanes business wise. And then also it's helpful because explaining these things. Makes them understand that our clients who are on the other side of that, who are in those types of environments, their expectation is X because that's what they're used to. So all those things are, are really helpful. But my goal is when people, uh, when they finish working here, is that they understand from an advanced business perspective, you know, what it takes to be like a responsible, you know, a responsible high level type of executive. You know
0: what I mean? Mm-hmm. I love that. You're very active in our local community, um, including being a partner with D.C. Urban Greens, um, a non urban farm that provides fresh and affordable produce to your restaurant and the community. Can you tell me what you've learned from relationships with farmers and food producers? Because I think all of us in any industry have partners outside of our own business that kind of make the entire uh, value chain work. So I'm curious how uh, what you've learned.
1: I've learned a lot in terms of um, how hard it is to manage a farm. I mean, <laughs> and, and it's very difficult work. There's other there's other factors besides just growing a vegetable. You know, like DC Urban Greens is an amazing farm in um, in DC, and they have problems with um, groundhogs. You know, the <laughs> the enemy can be <laughs> very, I mean, the groundhog. Doesn't sound so serious, but it is when they're digging holes in your. <laughs> all of your vegetables you know so um those things are like or you know you need an invisible fence to keep the deer out or things like that there's like there's impediments that you don't quite think about that are environmental you know that are costly you know so and then you know just the way that gosh the role of food is super super important what i've learned through this situation, which I kind of already knew, but, you know, our supply chain is, I mean, we, the, the the chefs and the restaurants are sort of at the center of the supply chain and farmers are reliant upon us to sell, you know, and it's a very fragile situation. And, you know, I guess I believe that I've learned from D.C. Urban Greens just how important it is, like, hyper-local agriculture is, you know, and how important it is to just, i think keep your dollars as close to home as possible you mean the spending of it and seeing the money circulate throughout dc has been really important to me and impactful um you know so you see people that are actually employed by some of the work that
0: you do it's very it's very rewarding and it's very instructive i think that's a trend we're going to continue to see uh going forward post-pandemic
1: yeah and i'm happy about it because i kept talking about how i loved urban farming and how we should be able to do some agriculture in in dc proper on these you know sites of land that were being converted and didn't have that much traction but now i think that people are seeing that they are having much more success getting Getting items from local, local places, um, local farmers, than maybe outside, and then all the problems with the plants, and it just highlights a lot of
0: issues in the food in the food agriculture world. So in this incredible time of need for the restaurant industry, including farmers and everyone else supporting your business, uh, what do you want to suggest to me and to listeners to support the people and businesses in this time of great need and change?
1: You know, I think the first thing is you know patronize the places that you care about. You know, I mean, I. I myself thought about my dry cleaner I had to do some dry cleaning and you know I wasn't work. this is when we were in the quarantine and I was like oh my gosh like you know maybe I should do one of those contactless pickup things and I thought of my my dry cleaner in the middle of downtown she you know they probably don't have too much business I was like no you're gonna get out of it you're gonna get in your car with your dry clean like you always do you're gonna go take it to them they need your business you know I think that people don't realize how much business is needed and how much like if you do not support the local businesses the small businesses they will not exist anymore people underestimate the amount of value in a hundred dollar you know food order or grocery order or
0: whatever the case may be it's hugely important okay so final two questions that we ask all of our guests um what's the first word or the one word that comes to mind when you think of culture being meaning what do you mean by being being like how are
1: you existing how are you living?
0: Very cool. And then if you could have a superpower, what would it be and why?
1: Well, there's an obvious one that would be eradicating this virus. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing that comes to mind is being able <laughs> to get this virus done so we can stop wearing masks and having everyone terrified, and scared of each other. It's terrible, I hate it.
0: <laughs> I hate it too. I hate it too. Amy thank you so much for your time and you have you make delicious delicious food so thank you so much for for it and I can't encourage anyone to go eat at Centralina and buy some stuff from your market
1: thank you very much I appreciate the opportunity thank you
0: wonderful you have a wonderful day Amy and I look forward to uh, hopefully getting to meet you sometime in person (laughs)
1: absolutely take care thanks a lot bye bye